Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 22. This is my Good Friday uh, message, so to speak. Good Friday sermon or Palm Sunday sermon message. Mark's preaching next week, so I'm doing it a week early. Okay, and then I'll be back for Easter. Uh, but um, in the midst of thinking of the sadness, there's a tremendous message of God's faithfulness. And I want you to think through that as you think of, of Christ dying on the cross for us going to the cross for us, the great faithfulness of God towards us through all of that. As you think about Psalm 22, it's, it's a great classic passage, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it, it deals with forsakenness. I want us to think about forgottenness and for, forsakenness for a, for a moment. Have you already forgotten football and moved on? You know, it's March Madness, baby. You know, Some of us have moved on. Have you already forgotten your New Year's resolution and moved on? Have you already forgotten your diet plan and moved on? Have you forgotten your exercise plan and moved on? Then there's a sense in which you didn't forget them, you forsook them, right? There's a difference between forgottenness and forsakenness. And I want us to think about that. It, it, it's important, I think, to remember the difference. You can forsake something and not really forget it at all. And as you think about Christ on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father wasn't about to take Christ off the cross. So he's forsaken, yes, but it doesn't mean he's forgotten. He's there for a reason. And that forsakenness, leaving him there, enables him to get where he wants to go, and that is die for our sin, die to impart to us his righteousness. I like to think of it like teaching someone how to ride a bicycle. You know, you're, you're holding the back of that seat, they're on the, the seat, training wheels are gone, and they're going, and you're going along with them, and at some point, you know, you just, you just give them a little nudge, and you turn loose. And they scream, why did you, why, why, what are you, you know, whatever they will scream. Why'd you turn loose? Did you forsake them? Yes. And you forsook them for a reason to help them get where they really wanted to go and where they needed to go. So there was a, a, an intentional forsakenness, but not a forgottenness. You were doing it for intentional reasons, and we need to see from the psalmist that the same thing is happening uh, here in Psalm 22. It's a message of being forsaken, but not forgotten. Let's kind of walk through the passage. First of all, the pain of forsakenness. Before we kind of get into it, can God forsake us and yet still be faithful? And I gave you a quote on your handout there from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So these are some great preachers in the 1600s that got together and we're answering the question, can, can real genuine believers have the, their, the assurance of their salvation shaken to where they almost at times feel like they're lost when they're saved? And this is their answer, a few of their words. They say, true believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, intermitted by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance 
and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. Think about that. God can at times like put a cloud between us and him so that we don't see any, any of the smile of God's face, none of the brightness of his countenance, none of those, those good fruits and attributes we want to see. All we see is darkness and gloom. We feel forsaken. That's the normal Christian life. The person who thinks they're always walking in heavenly sunlight is probably not a genuine believer. God at times forsakes his own for the purpose of putting us where he wants us to be and getting us where he wants us to be going. Um, we see that in the example of Christ and we experience in our, our lives as well. Let's look at God forsaking us. Verse 1 and 2. Let me read it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I have no rest. God forsakes us at times. We have to, to know this. Forsakenness is described here as a real intense pain. I like to think of these two verses as growing old. You know, that happens to all of us without exception. Somewhere about 30, 40, 50, some people it's earlier, sorry. But at least by 30, 40, or 50, you know, the hair starts turning gray or it starts turning loose. And it's so much easier to gain weight. And you look in the mirror and you start hating mirrors. And you look at pictures and you start hating pictures. And you don't want to look old. And you don't want to feel old. And you cry out day and night. I don't, you groan about being old. And God doesn't do a thing about it. He just lets it go. He forsakes us. Never is there an answer to that prayer. God, quit making me so old. He doesn't answer. He forsakes, lets us go, and we groan about it, even though he has absolutely no intention of fixing it. He has determined that we will go this path. And though we feel forsaken, it does not at all mean we are forgotten. Sometimes it's just a natural course. Other times, it's because of sin. I, I remember talking to someone one time and just said, God's always loved, always loved, always loved, and he doesn't do anything but love me. And I said, well, God gets mad at me. He said, no, 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 God never gets mad. God only loves. I said, well, no, it's a righteous anger. God does get mad at me because I mess up, and when I mess up, he gets mad. And the, the guy didn't like that answer. Well, I said, well, I can give you some verses. Uh, how about Isaiah chapter 59? We're close to that. Look at the first couple of verses there. Isaiah 59. Verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But, 
Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Uh, He can definitely hear us. He can definitely see us. He can definitely save us. He can definitely forgive us. But there's times there's a separation. There's a barrier between us and God. And who moved? We did. We sinned. And when we sin, it changes the relationship between us and God. It creates a barrier between us and God. It creates a darkness and a gloom. And we feel forsaken. Again, we're not forgotten. He can still hear. He can still save. But we've got to repent, and we've got to deal with our sins. So you may feel forsaken because of some natural course. You may feel forsaken because of sin. God does forsake his own, and doesn't mean he doesn't remember. Let's look at some other verses. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8. He says, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Have you ever felt so forsaken that it's just unhuman-like? I feel like a worm. I feel so bad. How does a worm feel? I don't know. I've never talked with one, you know. Stepped on a few, drowned a few, you know, different things, but... I'm a worm. It means I'm the scum of the earth. I'm, I'm low life. That's what I feel like, a reproach. Despise. People you know, go, ooh, when they look at me. And all who see me sneer at me, and they separate with the lip. They wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. That's a mockery. We heard that from Christ on the cross. The people around Christ, as he was hanging on the cross, they would say, why don't you just trust Jesus? Jesus, basically. He says, people mock. I feel so bad, and they say, Jesus, doesn't Jesus make a difference? You just feel terrible that he's got this unnormal feeling. Christians surely shouldn't be feeling this way. And then he describes the forsakenness again in verses 11 through 18. Let me read that. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. It's like God's a long ways away. Trouble is what's close. There's none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as as ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. By the way, just stop and think about all your bones being out of joint. Man, that's, that's a miserable feeling. My heart is like I have no feeling, I have no passion for love and life. It's melted within me. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That's pretty pretty forsaken. If you're in a condition where 
your enemies have surrounded you and then they have your clothes, you're pretty vulnerable. And they sneer at you, they look at you because you're, you're without clothes. They see the bones, your ribs poking through your skin. So you're not very healthy at this point. You've been pressed with oppression and abuse, torture maybe. Um, that's the condition the psalmist describes, a condition where he's just completely abandoned. Well, there's good news. I, I gave you different passages in Psalm 22, and we skipped over certain passages. And it's interesting how God's developed this psalm after each section of abandonment, forsakenness, there's a section on God's faithfulness. So let's go back now and see the faithful passages. Verses 3 through 5. <coughs> spring time, time allergies have, have got me already. Verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy. Remember forsakenness, verses 1 and 2. Verse 3, yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. I, I, I love the, the comprehension here. I'm forsaken sometimes because it's normal. I'm forsaken sometimes because of sin. But God's holy. It's never because of sin for him. He's holy. He's righteous. He's king of kings. He's enthroned in the heavens. And, and here's a phrase you, you hear people take it out of context all the time. O you, verse 3, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Literally means you are the one who inhabits the praises of of your people. But here, the people that we're talking about are the people of God that literally have to drag themselves into church because they're so forsaken. But they do, they get up and they drag themselves into church because they know when they get in church, they get near God through the praises of His people. His people begin to worship and adore, sing songs, and thanksgiving goes to God. Even those old folks, those who have trusted, and you delivered them, verse 4 and verse 5, they cried out and they were delivered. So I'd love to get into church, into the sanctuary, where I get to see the old folks, the ones who've gone through this forsakenness and have been delivered. And there I meet my God who is faithful over and over and over again. Is that part of church life where you get to look at one another and say, there's a brother, a sister, a father, a mother who has been redeemed and been delivered, been through the fire and have proven the faithfulness of God. That's verses 3 through 5. And then... You have that another forsaken verses, 6 through 8. Then verse 9 and 10, a faithful couple of verses. Verse 9, yet you are he who brought me from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. 
Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Wow. Has God forgotten us? Not at all. God birthed us. God created us in our mother's womb. And ever since, he says, he's been remembering. Kind of harks to Psalm 139. He says, if we were to just try to sit down and count the number of thoughts God has of us, he says, they would outnumber our calculators, the grains of sand on the sea. He says, he says, you're just overwhelmed at how much God thinks of those he creates. Even from our birth, God is faithful. And then verses 19 through 21. <coughs> but you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me uh, from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. There again, we see God is faithful. He's the one who takes us in our helpless condition and helps. We are forsaken, but we're not forgotten. You see that? I don't know what to call it. I don't know if there's a literary device. It's just this seesaw mechanism where he's bouncing from forsaken to faithful, forsaken, faithful. God's, we're forsaken, God's faithful. And it bounces through this text, verses 1 and 2, we're forsaken like nobody's business. But God's so faithful, verses 3 through 5. We're forsaken, verses 6 through 8. God's faithful, verses 9 through 10. Forsaken, verses 11 through 18. God's faithful, verses 19 through 21. No matter how forsaken we are, God's more faithful. That seems to be the refrain, the, the, the message that we see here. It reminded me of a, a story I heard in seminary, a seminary friend who had a friend. It's a real story of a, a handsome American who went off to Vietnam. And in that war, uh, he was hunkered down in some shelter and it was bombed. And the bomb not only went in beside him into the shelter, but immediately set everything on fire. And so most people died. He survived, um, but the, survived barely. You know, grossly disfigured, loss of limbs and features, um, badly burned. And, you know, it's one of those conditions where you're just amazed that he, he's still breathing. Well, they shipped him back home to America to heal, because that's one of those 10-year plans of healing. Brought him back home to be in a hospital to heal here. And when family and friends and fiancé heard that this military hero was in an American hospital, one by one, they go to visit him. Best friend got there first, and was it right in their hometown. They had, they had to travel. They get to the hospital, and the nurses and doctors tried to describe what you're about to see is not going to be pleasant, so they tried to prepare them. So as the best friend goes in, he couldn't take it. He just turned. He said, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't see and deal with that and that repeated over and over mom and dad showed up the saying that can't be our son they couldn't look at that fiance can't be my fiance 
one by one, they all turn away. And uh, the nurses tell the story to my friend. They said, after seeing that a number of times, they began to hear the soldiers sing. As someone would try to come and visit and then leave. And he was singing a refrain. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, steal our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise and forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. That's what we find in Psalm 22. Utter forsakenness by family, by friends, and yet utter embrace, total embrace by a God who doesn't abandon. A God who continues to remember and love and give solace to those of us who go through great forsakenness. Once we get to that spot where we realize no matter how bad it gets, God will always remember us. Then the psalm, instead of having this seesaw bouncing from being forsaken to being God being faithful, then it just starts into a long section of praise. <coughs> Excuse me, let me read that to you. Verses 22 through, uh, through the end. It says, I will tell you, tell of, I will tell of your name, to my brethren, it's like after experiencing God's faithfulness to such a depth, it's like, let me stop and tell people about, about Jesus. In the midst of the assembly, again, in church, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise. Well, let me stop. I'll go back and think about this for a minute. It says, I'm going to tell of your name to my brethren, verse 22. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. I don't want us to miss this, this proclamation. Every Christian life is a life of praise to God. We are God's witnesses. We do declare his praise. It reminds me of Psalm 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth, a song even of praise to my God. Every Christian, genuine believer, gives out Praise to God. And notice uh, verse 22, and, and not only do we do that, but in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Remember now the context with me. We're, we're in verse 22. Remember verse 17, they can see my bones. We're not far from this very uh, desperate physical pain of having nothing of being stripped of clothes, having nothing but pain in your body. And this person says, but I drag myself, verse 22, into the assembly to praise you. Don't miss that, folks. 
We're in a society that's become so individualistic, we don't get this. We've got people in this congregation right here this morning, I won't single them out, that are my heroes, and they should be your heroes too. They are people in this room that had to get up at 6 o'clock because it's going to take them three hours to get ready. And they come on a walker or in a wheelchair and at great cost and at great pain. They drag themselves in here because they get it. They know praise is the most important thing in life. And they come to feel the praises of God's people and they come to give praise to their God that though they have been forsaken, they have not been forgotten. And so they come for this. And I wish we could get that at 20 and 30 and 40 or before such affliction. We begin to see that the significant thing in life is the praises of our God who's not forgotten us since our birth. To give him such praise, to live for such praise, in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. It's like, it's so painful, it's so uncomfortable, it's so costly. Why don't I just stay home and watch it on TV? And the answer is, because I need to be in my Father's house. I need to be in the midst of the assembly. I am church, and I must do church. I must be with the church, and I must give Him praise, no matter how much it costs or how painful. That's what's going on. In Psalm 22. That's what's going on with Christ on the cross. It's, the pain is great. But there's no doubt that it's worth it. You keep pushing forward through that pain. It's part of life. It's what God wants us to do. And we proclaim to others, praise God. Think of God. Live for God. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. That's our exhortation. You must do this. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. This is a declaration. It must happen. Stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. See, that's the older, the wiser person. That's, that's their declaration. That's their message to the next generation. You must fear. You must praise. You must adore. You must stand in awe um, Verse 24, because he's not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face. But when he cried, he did hear, he did help. Well, let me go on. Verse 25, from you comes my praise. Don't miss from you. What's the source of our praise? We don't work this up. This was that every genuine believer praises God. You have been redeemed, you've been saved, you've been transformed. You can't help but to praise God. God is the source of praise. So you find somebody who's not praising God, that's not a genuine believer. They've not been transformed. And so if you say, well, you know, I don't find my heart wanting to thank God, well, then it, maybe he's not done anything in your life. It's worth thanking him for. We've not thought that through because he did give you life. If he gives you salvation, he gives you all things. And that leads to praise. The source of our praise is, is God himself. Verse 25, from you comes my praise. 
in the great assembly. Again, it's, it's this public thing in church. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. It's a constant encouragement to the body of Christ to be together, to praise God together. Verse 26, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. I don't know, <coughs> beginning at verse 27, if we've gone from those who praise God because we want to, because we've been transformed, we've been saved. Verse 27, maybe we're going to praise in God because we have to, because he is over us. It's like that Philippians 2 passage, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord, because it goes, verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn and praise. I mean, it's like you have to. I don't know. Seems to be that kind of thing going on here, but there are people who praise God because they want to. There are people who praise God because they have to. At some point, if we have both groups here, so be it. Think through where you are in this. Verse 28, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow down before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. So you see there that the psalmist ends with praise, all praise to God and God being ever righteous and faithful and gracious to us. Uh, the people of praise here, literally verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth. The literal Hebrew there is all the fat ones of the earth. And, and the reason I think the fat ones is, is, is the more literal translation is because of the, the skinny one back in verse 16 and 17. That he's, he's showing the, the difference. One who is faithful to God and dying for God doesn't compare to those who've just used everything God's given for their own pleasures. But even those who have become so prosperous and used everything for themselves, even they are drawn to praise. And they go down and praise God as well. So you see a little little um, uh, dialogue between those two individuals. There's a Christian response perhaps to praise and a non-Christian response. Well, like I said, there's no way to think about this passage, Psalm 22, without thinking about Christ. Because this seems to be the psalm most on Christ's heart and mind as he was walking to the cross. So let, let's, let's look at some of those parallels before we just jump off. <coughs> First of all, with verse 1, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Look at the New Testament parallel. Look over at Mark chapter 15, verse 34. Here's where we see it quoted. Mark 15, verse 34. Verse 33 says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? There's Christ on the cross in utter darkness for three hours. His sixth hour of the day is 12 noon. So you expect from noon to three to be the brightest part of the day. And that was the part that became so dark you can't... Have you ever been in a cave or something? You can't see your hand in front of you? You know, to, to, it's a darkness you can feel. And that's what was happening. It's just to illustrate forsakenness. And as that is felt, Christ cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it should deliver a message to all of us. Well, I know the answer. God forsook Christ to accept me, to deal with my sin. That forsakenness was not a forgottenness. He was doing something with Christ. He was having Christ be the sacrifice for us. That forsakenness was a good thing. It was not a forgottenness. Then, verse 7 and 8 of Psalm 22, that's the passage, all who see me sneer at me, they mock me. Well, in Matthew 27, let's look there. We see the parallel. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 29. Matthew 27, 29 through 31 says, and after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand, right hand, and they knelt down before him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. Skip to verse 41. And in the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. <coughs> so not only is there this forsakenness, there's everybody that should be praising him mocking him and just ridiculing him, putting him to shame as he hangs there on the cross. Was it worth it to the Father? Was it worth it to Christ to endure such forsakenness? No earthly prosperity at all. Um, then verse 16 of Psalm 22, verse 16 says... For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. So, uh, John 20, verse 25. We have this declaration of the piercing of Christ's hands and his feet. It says, so the other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Thomas speaking, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of nails... And put my finger into the place of the nails. And put my hand into his side. I will not believe. So there was that forsakenness of being nailed to the cross. And yet God wasn't forgetting that that would be significant for Thomas' salvation. 
and for many others would see him dying for us. Uh, verse 18 of Psalm 22 is the verse that says, They divided my garments among them, for my clothing cast lots. You see that in John chapter 19. Verse 23 and 24. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. And he quotes Psalm 22. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, you see utter forsakenness, that Christ loses all of his clothing to clothe us in his righteousness. The illustration seems strong. And then verse 22 of Psalm 22 says, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9. And here this is quoted down in verse 12 and 13. But let me start with verse 9. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we, do, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, <coughs> he was crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which uh, reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, <clears throat> I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a sense in which every time we sing, Jesus is singing with us. He is singing in the midst of this assembly. He says, I, I will proclaim God's name to the brethren. Christ says, I was forsaken. I suffered. I went to the cross. I did all of that. So I could come and be with you and proclaim salvation to my brethren in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. Behold, I am the children whom God has given me. It just, it's just a passage that blows you away that Christ wants to do all of that and then call you his brother, his sister. I want to call you my brethren. I'm doing this for you. I want to sing with you. I want to be with you. I want to love you. I want to forgive you. You may feel forsaken. None of us have been forsaken like Christ has been forsaken. All of us in Christ can say, yeah, I've been forsaken, but I've never been forgotten, just as Christ was never forgotten. He was a vessel 
for salvation for you and for me. He became the victim who died in our place. It's bad to be forsaken, but it's not so bad if we're never forgotten. Let's pray together. Father, these are passages that sometimes we don't bring up as often as we should. We, we like passages that encourage and give us self-help, and yet there's no greater help and no greater encouragement than Christ on the cross for us. Lord, let us see Jesus. Let us see him who was crucified. Let us see the one who only had two garments to his name and lost them both. Let us see one whose bones were visible through his skin, who had endured a hard life for us. Let us see how trivial our lives sometimes are when they lack praise. May our lives be more about praising you for who you are and what you've done than enjoying life for who we are and what we've done. Lord, may we see the significance of dragging ourselves in